Hello and welcome to Speak Female, the podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women and allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects they can either relate to or learn something from. This season is all about female empowerment and leadership. So at the end of each interview, I will be reading out a quote that has been selected by my guest. I'm your host, Lucy Grimwade, professional development coach, senior IT manager, and of course, podcaster. You'll now find that in between the episodes, you'll have access to five minute coaching hosted by me. If you'd like to find out more about Speak Female and coaching, you can connect with me across all social media platforms or email me coaching at lucygrimwades.com. Enjoy the episode. Today I'm joined by the incredible Gillian McMichael, master coach and founder of Full Circle Global. Having been on her own personal transformational journey, she really does know the importance of living life with passion, purpose and potential. Gillian has created a wide range of life and professional development programs that will enrich and enhance who you are and what you do. I've had the great honour and privilege working with Gillian on the Full Circle Professional Coaching Diploma and I'm so excited to be joined by Gillian today. So Gillian, welcome to Speak Female. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm really excited that you're here as well. Wanted to talk to you today about what we see in our kind of modern world and that women still label themselves. Have you ever experienced self-labeling yourself? Yeah, funnily enough, absolutely all my life um, until not that so long ago, actually. Um, It's interesting about labels. You know, we have the traditional labels such as, you know, mum, daughter, wife, friend, you know, colleague, all these types of things. And and those labels that, you know, we kind of get quite, I suppose, get used to having because that's what society, because we are, we are, I am a mom, I am a daughter, I am a wife. But there's also the emotional labels as well that sometimes we don't necessarily um, speak out about, such as that imposter syndrome. Am I, you know, am I worthy? Am I failure? Am I good? Am I bad? And we kind of have these, um, for me, these contrasting viewpoints, you know, about, who we are and what we're about and then you've got those other kind of derogatory type of things that you say about yourself like oh I'm fat I'm ugly you know um nobody likes me you know and all these things and and I just think it's a real shame and so yes I've had all of those labels um and then I did a little bit of work on myself just recently um to really let go of those labels and just really I suppose the last decade primarily I've been trying to just show up as myself without the labels and just appreciating me for who I am. Yeah, and I wonder where those labels come from because I get a real sense that some of it's driven from the media. Absolutely. And so I think the media is definitely responsible for some of pushing that agenda. I also think, you know, our parents and the way that we've been brought up, you know, just the whole sense of conditioning as a whole and, you know, those values that we're introduced to. So when we're born, you know, we're we're born into a value set that actually it's not our value set. It's the value set of our parents and their perspective and their viewpoint. Now, our parents can only do as good as they can do because it's what they know. So I'm not kind of blaming them. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we fit that mold. And I think realistically, it takes 
I suppose, courage and bravery to break out of that conditioning. And sometimes it's really difficult to do that even as an adult. Yeah. And you also just mentioned there um, in, in the previous question around doing some work on yourself. I wonder if you could share share that sure. with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was bullied as a young girl. So I, I was bullied from being most probably about eight years old until I was probably being in my early 20s. Um, I, I, for some reason, I got called Concord at school. Um, I had a big, they thought I had a big nose and a range of other different things. And yes, my nose had a little bump in it and it was a bit bigger than perhaps what it is now because it's 16. I bullied so badly that I, I forced, I begged my mum and dad to give me a nose job basically to help me kind of overcome this um, situation that I was in where every time I went into the classroom, everybody would duck down and kind of say, oh, bend down just in case she knocks you over with her nose, you know, and it got worse as I got older. And having after having the kind of the nose job at 16, um, things actually didn't get better. In fact, they got worse. So I was now the girl who'd had a nose job and everybody still took down. So, you know, feeling I suppose so for me, feeling a bit of an outsider for most of my life and then into my younger, so my younger years into my adolescence and then into suppose womanhood, I suppose that's when I started to really try and find my own voice. Um, and instead of trying to run away to kind of more face up with, you know, the experiences that I'd had and to, to deal with that. And, and I think it did it kind of did impact me because I think it turned me into a person who was a real people pleaser, which is another label, I suppose. And, and certainly, you know, and one that would all, you know, when I'd get asked a question, or like, what would you like to do? I would say, oh, well, what, what do you want to do? You know, I, I was really quite passive in my younger years and then about 10 years ago coming up for 11 years ago now I had a real kind of pivotal moment in my business with the recession hit and actually I, I needed to restart and reboot I was I went through a divorce and I really thought actually I'd, I'd completely lost myself and I thought I need to get myself back on track with who I am and so at that point I started into in kind of develop I suppose invest in my own development again and I really started to think about oh actually who am I because actually I didn't really know who I was and so just even asking that question I spent you know as I said it's taken me this last decade to really get to a place of owning who I am I'm 49 now and you know I'm not trying to be critical about gosh I'm 49 why have I wasted all these years but actually this last 10 years has been an amazing journey to get me to where I am now and I actually feel really proud of who I am and I'm just showing up as me so yeah so that's just a little bit about the about where I've been and, and I think that conditioning has been quite hard you know because for me um you know divorce was a really big taboo you know and I remember my mum saying you know, 11 years ago you know nobody wins through divorce and she was right nobody does win through divorce but actually you can't stay with somebody if it's not working you have to kind of make a decision and so so having the courage to kind of break out of what I think even my own family's traditions was that you would just you know wait until your son grows up because I had, a, I had a, a young son of about six, or six years old at the time and so you know you just have to kind of do figure out who you are and stay strong to who you are and and don't be um influenced I suppose by the conditioning of your family your friends society culture as a whole what gave you that courage to break free it's a really good question um I think for me it was very much around, I suppose it was about the power of choice. Um, 
up until that point, I'd not really thought about the choices I had. I had made choices, obviously, because I'd moved to London, I'd moved to Scotland, I'd travelled, worked abroad, I'd done all of those things. Um, but what I'd not really thought about was really, what do I want for me? I don't think I'd ever put that question forward to myself. I had done things for others. So, you know, I, I didn't I didn't go abroad when I was younger and travel like I wanted to because I didn't want to upset my mum and dad. I didn't want to, you know, so, so I, I kind of made choices based upon other people's expectations of me. And I think for the first time in my late 30s was when I decided, actually, I really need to start making choices for me. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I, and I feel that power coming through on the screen here as well. And I can really resonate with um, what you were talking about in during school and, and being bullied. Like, I've also experienced that, too. And then you mentioned there around about the conditioning. And I wonder what we could do as a society now to help shift some of that conditioning, because not everybody has that courage or that strength or that resilience to kind of break through. But women like us, what could we do to help shift that? I think for me, and, and I can only speak from my own experience, is, is going back to that that appreciation that you do have a choice I you know I was, I was my son's 18 and now and he's got obviously a lot of female and, and, and obviously a bigger group of friends now and you can see that even the girls at 18 they're all trying to fit a particular look they're all trying to fit in a particular way of being and acting and behaving and I just kind of want to shake them and say what are you doing you know be individual, be unique. You don't have to look and feel and do as everybody else does. But I think because it's drummed into us, and I know we've had a conversation about this earlier, um, that sense of even when you look on the telly, you've got little girls playing with prams, you've got little girls playing with dolls, you've got boys playing with action figures and cars. And, and I suppose that's, you know, and when I look about my own family, you know, my mom and my, my dad did everything with my brother. That was all sports. So he would take my brother to football and do all that. And I would be with my mum and we'd do go clothes shopping at the weekend. And, you know, so so even that, you know, there wasn't any cross-functional kind of activities. And I just wish that there's an opportunity to, to, to look at how we can do things differently. Now, I'm not saying everybody's living their life like that because obviously that we're all not. Um, but I do feel this sense of or the pressure of getting married, having two kids, you know, the, 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 the nice house and all of these things, all of these things are things that are drummed in from us from being, you know, from being early years. And then we fulfill that prophecy because that's what we're supposed to do. And that courage to break the mold requires somebody to actually really ask themselves, what do I want for myself? I also feel that that should be celebrated when people do break the mold because something I get a lot um, being in my mid thirties ish is a lot of, Oh, are you thinking about getting married? Are you thinking about having children? Well, actually, no, I have a great career. I have a great business. I've become a coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was, I was just thinking about that is, you know, there's so many people out there also that are single and not in a relationship. You don't have to be in a relationship to be happy and successful. You know, and I think I think these are the, the those labels or that conditioning, that that vision that we think we should have rather than actually what we really, truly want. 
and and knowing myself you know I could have made that decision to stay in a a very unhappy marriage that actually wasn't working for me or even for my other the, my, my husband at the time and and be miserable for the rest of your life or actually to have a grown-up conversation about it and say right actually it's better to, to maybe live separately and, and be happy in our own right. Yeah and I think it's about sharing those stories and again I feel like I'm coming back to the media and I do feel that there has to be some accountability when it comes to social media, press, advertisement you know not that you're necessarily going to go and advertise you know get divorced he's a lawyer but um <laughs> you know just again what we were talking about earlier with the the, the push chair and the pram and everything's pink for for girls but actually why don't we see some shift and change in the fact that a girl playing with an action figure for example or a boy pushing a pram mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and i do think you know, I think I think things are changing though, slowly but surely. And I think more awareness, more openness, more transparency around, you know, differences um, can definitely help that message be changed. Yeah, and I think it's just that, like you say, it's changing slowly. But sometimes I I feel like I'm bringing my own opinion in here slightly. I just wish it would be a bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, because if I see my friends with their children and they're still, you know, everything's pink and babies and everything, and I just think, oh, you know, what about this book? I'm that kind of cool auntie that brings educational books like the the, <laughs> the women of history and you know yeah. meditation books and everything. Yeah, calm your child down by reading this book. <laughs> I wanted to kind of move across from labeling into the word that you used earlier around imposter syndrome. And I wondered if you could give us a little bit of an insight of how you've experienced imposter syndrome and how you've overcome it. Sure. I suppose the first time I experienced it was most probably when I set up the business, which was nearly 18 years ago now. um, So set up full circle um, 18 years ago. And that kind of sense of, you know, having to kind of step forward, sell yourself as a business owner. And there was a real sense of... um, you know, you needing to be an entrepreneur or show the world that you're an entrepreneur. And actually, quite frankly, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, you're making it up as you're going along because nobody tells you. It's like being a mum, actually. Nobody really tells you. There's not a rule book. So you just have to kind of make it up as you're going along. And, you know, you, you, you learn by trial and error and you make mistakes. And I think, though, coming into those circumstances, and I remember being in front of a really big client, um, a really big property house building company, and their managing director asked me to come in and do a pitch. And I was really, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so nervous here. And I went in and I did the pitch and actually the piece of, I had landed the job and got a massive piece of coaching work. And then that's when it started to kick in where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, am I good enough to be an executive coach? Can I be coaching the, this, this big board of directors and, and do it in the way that they're looking for? So I suppose what came into that imposter syndrome is really self-doubt and, and fear more than anything else and questioning, you know, am I good enough? Can I actually do this? Now, for me, the, the way that I've got over that is really to start listening more to my intuition and to to my inner self. Now, obviously, as a coach, it's I've been trained how to do that, and I know it's a lot easier to do it when you've been trained how to do it versus when you don't know how to do it. But I I, I think for me, the word is trust. If you can learn to trust yourself over time and through your experience, just take it slowly. Now, maybe don't have so many high expectations like you have to get this perfect. 
it, it, you know, it has to be flawless. And this sense of going back and showing up as your true self and, and being your yourself. And I remember saying to, to the board of directors, had a big, it was a really big challenging conflicting team session that we did. And I just said, I said, you know, I said, I'm a little bit out of my depth here. And that was the light bulb for me, that sense of showing up and being honest to say, because otherwise I could have fudged it and pretended everything was all right. And then I still would have gone and said, I'm out, you know, back in my head, self-doubt still would have been there. But by owning up and just saying it as it was, in fact, what happened was everybody else said, you know, I'm feeling the same. I'm completely out of my depth here. What are we doing? And so we kind of pressed the reset button and together we figured it out. And that then led on to, you know, two, three, four years worth of work with that organization, rolling it out right across the, the country. And I look back now and I wonder if I hadn't have said that, would, would things have been different? Yeah, and as you say that, something comes straight to my mind about you had the courage there to be vulnerable. Yes. And then it allowed everyone else to go, actually, I don't know what I'm doing either. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, I think most people these days do have a, a bit of imposter syndrome at some point throughout their lives. And, and all I would say is go back to what you know, go back to that sense of, well, what do I know about myself? What do I, what do I know I can do? What do I believe I am good at? And, and just remind yourself of those things, because when that imposter syndrome really, for me, it's, it's like fear, you know, it's kind of like the villain in a movie. It comes forward and it says, ta-da, here I am, you know, <laughs> and it comes to kind of try and get you. And when it gets you, it really gets you. Um, it really holds you into that kind of, in many, many ways, fear can paralyze you. And I think for me, if you can just say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to believe I can do this and not let that fear take, take hold of you. Then the imposter can move away over time. Do you think imposter syndrome is slightly linked to other, other things that, the things that we've been talking about, conditioning, labeling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would absolutely say the imposter syndrome is a label. Mm. I think we use that term because it helps us try and understand ourselves a bit more. But for me, the question is, is that the right label? Is that the true label? You know, is it really about feeling like an imposter or am I just nervous or am I scared about the outcome? And I think one of the ways to get over that imposter label is to decide, you know, am I really an imposter here? Because, you know, I see it a lot with my, my clients and they get, they get new jobs and they're really successful. And as soon as within three months into the job, they're really questioning, should I be here? Is this the right, is this the right job for me? Well, I, I really can't do this. And, and for me, it's more about feeling vulnerable than anything else. And my view would be if you accept that vulnerability and say, do you know what, actually, I am only three months in this job. I don't know everything and I, I'm not supposed to know everything. Because actually, when you start a new job, it's going to take at least six, maybe 12 months to really embed yourself into the culture of the company, know where you fit within the organization and really start to honor your role in the way that it's meant to be honored. It doesn't it, it takes longer than three months. And so when you're having that wobble in those early days, then it's normal because you're not meant to know everything. But we think we have to know everything. And that's I think that's another bit of the conditioning that, yes, we've got the job. Now we need to perform immediately. And there is pressure from organizations for people to do that, of course, but we need to most probably say, well, you know, I'm on a learning curve and I'm going to maybe get things wrong or it's going to take me a bit longer to get my head around that. 
But again, it goes back to owning your own voice in those moments. Yeah, and Gillian, as you were saying that, I was just thinking how much I wish I had heard that two years ago when I had started my my current role where I am, because I was in a job for, for three months and suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm doing. Should I be here, et cetera, et cetera. But you're, with what you were just saying there, and I hope the listeners can also resonate with this as well, is it's okay. You've only been there three months. You're on a learning curve here. You're on a learning journey. And I do sometimes feel, and I'm kind of linking it again back to labeling and the pressures from other people. So people who have been in organizations for six, 10 years, you know, you can't expect someone who's been in the company for five minutes to know your 10 years of knowledge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's something about being compassionate and kind to yourself because you wouldn't be speaking to somebody else like the way that you speak to yourself. Yeah. You know, the way that we know, for example, as, as, as I speak from a woman's perspective, you know, when you look in the mirror, you know, would you say to your friend, look at those bags under your eyes, look at those wrinkles. God, you look old today. You know, you wouldn't say those things to your friend or a colleague at work, but yet you say them to yourself. And I think we need to change the language, change the viewpoint in terms of the words and the phrases that we use about ourselves and be more kind and compassionate. And how can we start doing that? So you said about reframing, changing the words. What else could we do? I think for me, I can only share what I've done, which is when I look in the mirror, I say something positive about myself and it sounds really cheesy, but I do go, I think, oh, you look good today, you look quite (laughs) nice today. I mean, I don't say you look gorgeous or out like that. You know, I wouldn't go as far as that, but I would say, you know, oh, you're looking fresh today or your hair looks nice. I would find something to compliment myself. And that takes training. It takes a commitment because actually you don't always feel that way. (laughs) And that's, so there's something about the practical application of saying nice things to yourself or kinder things to yourself. I also think then when you're in circumstances where you are out of your comfort zone, when you're feeling a bit vulnerable, is to take a deep breath. Obviously, you know that I do meditation as well, meditation teacher. And and for me, that has been an absolute lifesaver. It's so life supporting when you just pause. And before that inner chatter starts, before that negative self-talk comes in, take three, four, maybe five deep breaths and just center yourself. And then when you do that, you can see things from a different perspective. And that really helps with that reframing. Because in those moments, you know, we're in that situation where it's fight or flight, you know, you, you kind of, you're ready to kind of, you know, the emotion swells up, the fear swells up, the anxiety swells up, whatever the feeling or the emotion is, it's there. And if we can just take a breath, it means that we can rebalance ourselves and, and as I said, ground and center ourselves. And then you're more informed to make, you can proceed with more awareness because you've taken a moment to pause rather than just react. And so your, your mechanism changes, you respond rather than reaction, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and as you were just talking about your meditation there, I would urge everybody to go onto your Instagram page and I'll put that in the show notes with your meditation series because I really enjoyed that. For somebody who I struggle sometimes to kind of sit and meditate, but I was able to listen to yours because it was they were short, they were about 10 minutes, 10, 20 minutes, and I was able to just kind of put them in my ears, listen, And then I was just able, and then through the rest of the day, I felt so much clearer. So I do urge people 
to go and and again I'll put that in the show notes because that really helped and also with what you were just saying there around reframing and you're right it is so hard to get up every day and go oh do you know what you look good today or you know saying something positive I went through a phase where I had post-it notes all over our our house and they were on my screen they were on the door they were on my mirror so even my other half was reading these um affirmations every day like you are a brave badass bitch (laughs) things like that and he was reading those things as he left the door every day so I think I saw a bit of a shift in him as well I hope he doesn't mind me saying but honestly and then now it it trains the brain to kind of you know, now I say it every day and every morning I wake up and I say, I wonder what opportunities today would bring. Yeah. And amazing. I got that from a client, actually. She, yeah. That's what she said to me. And I've, I've stolen. That's stolen amazing that. though. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I do feel there is something in the power of the affirmation. I do talk a lot about affirmations in the training work that I do and the coaching work that I do. And I, I really believe that if you can start your day with something positive, whether that's a, I believe in me, I can do it, you know, um, all those things that you've just shared as well, um, or to even simple things like today's going to be a good day. Yeah. Then it makes a big, big difference to how you enter your day. And then if you can do it on the opposite end, so when you, before you go to bed, just to reconfirm today's been a great day, or I feel proud of myself today because I had a really good conversation with my, with my mom or my work colleague, or, you know, I've worked hard today and I've enjoyed what I've done today. Just simple things like that, just as a kind of closing off. So a starting and a close of your day makes a huge difference to your emotional well-being and also the messages that you're telling yourself. Yeah. And as you were just talking about that, just to share with you as well, that if I can't sleep, I count my blessings. So I mm. say all the things I'm grateful for. So I fall asleep being grateful. And lovely. I always wake up the next day feeling amazing. Yeah. It's such a lovely thing to do. Yeah, I'm a real big thing of showing gratitude and really kind of tuning into that aspect of ourselves. Because that's another thing that when we're dealing with imposter or vulnerability or any of those kind of wobbles that we have in our life, those are the, that if you go back to gratitude in particular, it can really make a big difference to your mindset and your emotional well-being as a whole. Yeah. And you just mentioned there around emotional well-being. You know, the last 18 months has been such a difficult time for everybody I wonder if there's anything that you could share around kind of strengthening that emotional well-being especially as we still shift and change as we live in a bit of a pandemic world still yeah absolutely well for me I've really got myself a good routine so root I, I do bang on about routine quite a bit but actually routine is very important um you know in Vedic traditions of when you think about you know um, in India and stuff you know they would call it kind of a ritual but for me in in our kind of modern world you call it a routine but that sense of having a regular time when you get up doing I do meditate every day I do exercise every day I do yoga um, I'll do my breathing and so forth I will set my intention for the day now all that's done most probably you know before even start work and then you do your work and then you might then finish off with those affirmations but also make time for things that you like to do so going simple things that don't actually cost a lot apart from time is going out for a walk every day you know getting some fresh air and if you can't go too far then at least just stand outside and just do some breathing just to connect because connecting with nature is most probably one of the biggest gifts 
we have in this world um, because it just tops up your tank immediately. Listening to the birds tweeting, feeling the sun on your face when it's shining, all of those things can make a big difference to your well-being. So for me, my approach to well-being is doing things that are within your control, things that don't cost you a huge amount of money, but actually are meaningful and significant to you and things that will make you feel better within yourself, not about yourself, but within yourself. And I think that's the difference because you can buy, you, know, you can go online and shop and make you feel good because you've got the, the new clothes, the new bits of makeup, which I often do um, as a little treat for myself, just to kind of think, oh, that's quite nice. Is I do like a treat every now and again, but it's the stuff that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside that makes a difference, not the stuff that you're buying externally. So for me, those simple things like connecting with family, friends, making time to have conversations, but not the surface stuff, the more meaningful conversations, as well as looking after your health and wellness, I suppose, as a whole, kind of make the difference for well-being as a yeah. Yeah, I really like that you just talked about nature because Mental Health Awareness Week um, yeah. in May is all about connecting back with nature. So I'm it super is. pleased that you talked about that. Yeah. And just to add on to what you were saying there as well, something I found that some of my clients have been doing is actually journaling. And, yes. you know, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just writing, even if you don't feel that you can write big, long sentences, just writing words of how they felt that day yeah. and then not worrying and just letting it flow out. And that's been something so powerful that I've seen across everyone that's been doing it yeah it's interesting I journaled journaled a lot through my transition so those 10 11 years ago and I was going through such a big transition and change that's when I start I mean I've journaled on and off throughout the years but that's when I really kind of committed myself to journaling I've got now look, so so many journal books um, but actually it does help because what I find is if if it's out of your head then it it, it releases you from any tension or stresses or anxieties that you might be feeling so getting it out on paper is really 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 good so I agree with that I think journaling is superb and I also just want to as you were just talking about that there wanted to say something that you had said um I think we all want one of our kind of learning forums and writing writing things down and then kind of throwing it away yeah. so writing to that emotion or that feeling or that person and like either burning it or throwing it away it's one of my favorite yeah. techniques that I do and actually that's one of the things I forgot to mention that earlier on that's one of the things that I did for myself just uh last year actually um I decided to um write a note a letter to say farewell to my triggers so one of them was about feeling small. One of them was um, about feeling uh, not worthy. And so I wrote a letter and did exactly what you've just said there. Yeah, wrote a letter to myself. And it sounds very strange. Wait, and, and it is a strange experience when you say, oh, dear, dear small. <laughs> Thank you so much for being in my life. Um, but I no longer need you. And actually writing that and then not you're not even having to read it again just writing it and then I took it outside into the garden and I burnt it and to be quite honest since then that feeling has completely gone so there is really something about the emotional freedom that comes with choosing to let conditioning triggers labels go yeah and I wonder as well if it's worth adding that you have to be ready to let it go as well 
I think that's so important, actually, Lucy. I think you have to be ready. I mean, look at me. This has taken, this has been a long journey. That was 11 years of wanting to do that. And I only did it last year. And so you carry that. And I think we've talked about this before in some of the trainings we've done is that, you know, we do carry, if we have a, 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 an imaginary rucksack on our back, you know, a backpack, we carry all of our stuff in there, all of our baggage. And as you grow and evolve as a person you know you can take some of that stuff out but you're right you can only take it out when you're ready maybe ready to face it and really choose and that's that that's that bit about choice it brings it back to choice suppose is, is when does it feel right for me now to let go of this because actually I no longer need it because it's not serving me well mm. and I also think as well and I wonder if you can resonate with this Gillian around with the, the I remember you talking about the rucksack and the kind of being weighed down when you do let things go there's a shift in the body as well because our body does hold I was having such a bad back and then last year when I decided to let things go my back's fine yeah Yeah, it's so interesting I did a I did a talk on this on Friday actually around that mind and body connection and they are they, they are not different I think lots of us think that the mind is different and the body is different, but they're so intrinsically linked because what your mind, what you're carrying in your mind shows up in your body, in your, in your physiology, you know, in your physical state. So that sense of having bad, a bad back or a sore shoulder or, you know, a, 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 a pain in the neck or whatever it might be, a, a, you know, a sore ankle, all of that is a reflection of what we've been carrying around with us. And, and those emotions, those maybe more negative emotions or those things that we those kind of not so nice statements that we say about ourselves they they they, they're kind of planted in the body and the more that we I suppose uh pay attention to them or the more that we say or keep repeating I'm fat I'm no I don't look great today or all of these kind of negative comments that we say about or imposter whatever it might be then all we're doing is we're just nurturing that voice or that and that seed then starts to flourish into something bigger than it needs to be and that's when it starts to show up in the body and I do a lot of work with somatic work around how you can release that tension so that you can free your body so free your mind and free your body of the tensions that you're carrying around yeah I I'm so happy you're talking about that because I have been looking and reading into because of the work I've done with you and then it's kind of sparked things in my mind but I think when you're mentally ready to let go and then you do and then your body changes and I've seen such a shift in my body over the last so I met you back in October so since then I've seen such a shift when I've done all the work that you know we've done on the training and then all the additional work I've done as well so thank you for sharing that you're welcome yeah, I was just thinking there, you know, not only do you see, because I do this with when you see clients do it as well, you see them physically change shape. So they're taught, they seem taller, longer, um, but also like weight loss as well comes. And I'm not saying get rid of all your emotional baggage and you're going to lose all this weight, <laughs> but actually you do lose weight because when we're holding on to that negative emotion in our body, for women in particular, all it does is congregate around our belly. You know, and what we want to do is we want to get rid of some of that stuff. And so if we start to release some of our emotions our negative emotions, then you're freeing your body up. So everything is in flow, much more in flow, which means that you do see a big difference. So you don't only necessarily feel lighter, but you are lighter as well. Gillian, I've so enjoyed talking to you today on Speak Female. I wanted to ask you just before we leave today around 
what would your one piece of advice be for women who are wanting to step into their personal power? Oh, good question. So for me, I would say, just do it. Show up, be yourself, and don't apologize for being you. Brilliant. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you for joining me on Speak Female today. Thank you so much. And thank you to you for listening today. In summary, Gillian and I talked about labeling, conditioning, imposter syndrome, and the ways that you can get back in touch with nature. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Share Speak Female across your networks and also leave a review. This helps spread the message and the more people we can reach, the better. Check out the podcast notes where you can find my email address, contact details for Gillian and the ways that you can sign up for the coaching newsletter hub. And in the words of Maya Angelou, if you're always trying to be normal, you will never know how amazing you can be. See you next episode.